I want you to open your Bibles once again to Matthew chapter 7, continuing from last week, which the title was, Are You Making Good Choices? And as I so often say, we live by choices. You know that. You should know that. Daily decisions of what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to act or react, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, how much you eat, how much time you spend. Everything, every day is full of choices. As a result, we are this morning what we are because of the choices that we have made. We've either caved into the pressure or we have resisted it. But we made a choice. It was a decision that we made. In light of everything you've ever heard in your life, you've been taught rights and wrongs, you make decisions. Now, if your decisions are good decisions, they're the ones that God gives. Anything else is a bad decision. Now, that may sound a little too narrow, but we're getting more narrow here in just a minute. The only good decisions a man can make in life are the ones that God gives. Everything else is a bad decision. And all choices that we make have consequences. Good consequences, you're blessed if you do the right thing. You make the wrong choices for all the reasons we give. Fear, I can't, I'm afraid. Those choices have consequences. And so we need to know that as Christian people, that while God has made us unique, nobody else is like you. You have a will, a volition. You live by the power of your choices. God gives you the good ones to make, and it's up to you to make those decisions because he won't make you do it. He simply shows you the way that is right. Last week, before we get to Matthew 7, I began at Joshua 24 and 15. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Either serve the gods in this land who worshiped all these things. If you want to be like that, serve them. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the alternative. There's only two choices. It's either the devil or God. It's either good or bad. It's either right or wrong. There's only two choices in life. There's no middle ground. It's just two choices. Now, this is not a modern sermon. You live in a time in which the intellectual world really hates absolutes, either or, black or white, up or down. They don't like that because so many people don't want to have to make those choices. And so you give them a middle ground, which is like lukewarm something where you're neither right nor wrong. You're not exactly right, but you're not exactly wrong. You maybe not do everything the right way, but you're not doing everything the wrong way. I mean, you're not exactly a drug addict. You're not exactly a saint. So, I mean, you're all right somewhere in there. And then the philosophy comes behind that that says, and you know, God understands you're just in flesh. And he knows that while you're in this human flesh, there's not much you can do about it. So just do the best you can and quit worrying about things of that sort. Just hang in there. And so people have latched onto that, especially this younger generation. Because if there's one group, if there's one generation that the devil hates with a passion, it's this young generation. Because this is the one that'll be here when the Lord comes, and this is the one that's probably going to carry the banner and the brightest glow of the church throughout the centuries. And he hates you. He doesn't want you to do well. He wants you to be lewd and immoral and loose and foolish and dumb and, and act crazy. He wants you like that. That's what's portrayed all over the world and in the media and everything. It's just a bunch of hey, goofy, goofy generation. And he wants you to emulate that, to be like that. 
And God comes along and he says, a bad choice. No matter how much you long and lust for things in this world, if those things are leading you down a different path than you want to go down, you better avoid it. You better avoid it because it's a bad choice and God will judge it. We said also in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 22, Elijah on Mount Carmel said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If the devil's God or Baal is God, serve him. Make a choice. And the Bible said, and the people answered him not a word. It's like, I understand what you're saying about your God and all of that, but we also know that our daily routine is with idols, and everybody's doing the idol thing. Everybody's got one. Everybody talks about idols. All the TV programs are about idols, and so we're idolizers. But we also hear you talking about God, and it seems like it ought to be right, but we can't tap into that, and we don't exactly get all of that yet. He said, look, how long will you have two different opinions? How long will you wonder? Will your mind drift this way and this way? He said, if God is God, serve him. Two choices. It's like that throughout the Bible. It's like that throughout life. Two choices, either or. And we have to make the right choices because God must judge the wrong choices. Do you hear me? We have to make the right choices because God must judge the bad choices. Because we don't have to make bad choices. We're told not to. Now, Matthew 7, two choices again. And he said, there's a broad way and a narrow way, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight or narrow is the gate, narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, as I pointed out last week, Jesus says life is about two ways. Now, a gate is an entrance into something. It's a simple picture. You're coming into your life. You've got your will, your choices. You're being presented with all the opportunities that people have in life to do things. Go places, be, study, achieve. It's all in front of you. Now, one of those gates is a broad gate. It takes no effort to get through it. You can do more or less what you want. It's not restricted. It's not compacted. It's just a lot of fun, a lot of lights, and a lot of glamour, and you're not harnessed by rules and regulations. You can do your own thing. Jesus said many are going to go into that way. In fact, most of life, the choices that people will make in life is the fun life, the opportune life, the me life, the flesh life, the self-serving life. One word that sort of identifies all of that is iniquity. It's a lawless life. There's no law you have to go by. You do your own thing. And this is an opportunity that you have. And if you want to go that way, he says you can do that. But he said it's a way of destruction, didn't he? It's a way that God must judge. The same word destruction we said last week came from Hebrews 10, where he said the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But then he said, we are not of those that draw back into perdition or destruction, same word. We are those who believe to the saving of the soul. It's a process we're trying to get there. We want to receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. 
And he said, the narrow way is not a very popular way. Obviously, it's not easy to get in. It's obvious that God stands there telling you the way that you're going to walk is a narrow way. It's a difficult way. Peter wrote about it. He said, it is with difficulty or scarcely shall the righteous be saved. It's not going to be easy, not near as easy as this last day has made it to be. Not that easy at all. In fact, when you begin to read the scriptures, as we looked at a few last week, if we can go over some of those again just for a moment, it really isn't easy. It never was intended to be easy. In fact, the narrow way for those who try to get in, it won't take long to find out who really wants to continue in this way and who wants to fall back or draw back. Because most people do. Not all, but most. Jesus said only a few will find it. Isn't that what he said? We mentioned Jeremiah last week that if you search for him with all your heart, you will find him. But if you think you're just entering in, being there's nothing to it but holding up your hand, going to church, learn the routine, sing the songs, clap your hand, put money in a box and go on a mission trip, and then you're going to heaven, you're really deceived. Because we're talking about a life that you must live on his terms. And they're pretty defined, and they're pretty narrow. For example, Hebrews 5. Would you turn to it again? Hebrews 5, to show you just a little bit how narrow this is. And if I ask you this morning, how many of you are saved? I'm sure you would all hold up your hand and say, we're all saved. I mean, after all, isn't everybody born again? Aren't all politicians born again? Sure, everywhere in the world. Yeah, he's a born-again Christian. Oh, yeah, she's born again. Well, I mean, you know, she's not perfect, but she's born again. God lives in her. What do you mean? Well, yeah, she's born again. You can tell by her speech that God lives in her when she told that woman to shut up. That's the way God talks. You have to shake your head no. No, he doesn't either. Well, then why do we do it? We confess we're saved, don't we? We confess we're right with God, don't we? And then we keep talking like that, doing those things, making those kind of decisions that mislead people. Isn't something wrong? Wouldn't it be best to discover that something is really wrong now than when it's too late? Remember that question one time Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom? And the disciples said to Jesus, can anybody be saved? In another case, in Luke, he said, are there few that be saved? Whatever Jesus talked to his disciples in private about, as well as what he proclaimed publicly, they were getting the message that not very many people apparently are going to make this. They said to him, are there just a few that are going to be saved? Can anybody be saved? One time Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. Man cannot save himself. Well, then how can he be saved? He's got to go through that gate. That gate is Jesus. But going through that gate means you live by what he wants, the way he wants, as he wants. It means that you offer yourself every day a willing, alive sacrifice for the Almighty to use you any way he wants to, and you're willing to shut your mouth anytime he wants you to shut it because you're committed to him. You surrendered to him. Why? Because you're saved. 
you're saved. That's why you do that, because you're saved. We got another word we'll use for saved in just a moment. But in Hebrews 5, he said about these narrow things, he said, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to those who are baptized in water and learn the songs. You know what he said? Is that too narrow? He became the author of eternal salvation. Let me make it harder, okay? Only to these people, only to these, who are the only ones that will be saved? Is that what he said? Now, it remains then for us, if this message is directed at our hearts, it then remains for us to take what was just said and ask yourself the question, am I saved? Yes, I go to church. Yes, I went forward. I, yes, 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 to all the outward things that people do that we can see. But obedience is a choice that the heart has to make. You may have to consider the consequences of that choice. You may lose your job. It may affect your marriage. Everything that was wrong, God's going to correct it. It may cost you money. You may have to now tell the truth on your income tax. Everything now has to be done his way. Do you understand? Because this is what saved people do. They obey. The word obey, it's a Greek word which means to hear under or under to hear or to hear with the intention of doing. And you can't do what's right until you hear what's right. So you've got to find what's right, and then you have to have a heart that is willing to say yes to God and do it. That whole process is called obeying or obedience. Adam sinned because he disobeyed God. The Bible said the second Adam obeyed God and delivered us. He stayed where God put him. He responded to what God said, and thus he qualified at the end to offer himself a lamb without spot unto God because he never let sin in his life. Now, obedience does that. It takes you away from everything that God must judge and brings you into a place where God rewards or blesses. And he said, Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. That's pretty narrow. How about that verse in Luke chapter 9? Any man that puts his hand to the plow, remember that one? Because all the people wanted to make excuses. We got a church tonight here. Well, I'd like to come, but I just bought some land. Well, I just married me a woman, and I, I just... Uh, I'll go check my field out here I just bought. I got, I got all these other things I have to do. It's just like I still want to do my own thing. And God seems to be so confining. But an obedient man, he just says, I gave my heart. I surrendered my life to Jesus a long time ago, and he intended for me to give him my heart. And everything else has to be set aside. Like John said the other night, I have to hate everything that's trying to weasel me out of my relationship to God. And if I don't hate it, I'll consider it. If I don't hate my old sins, I'll leave them around just in case because I had a lot of fun. And so, the Christian life is not a simple, easy life to live. It is in the sense if you just are willing to obey, it's a wonderful life. And you don't regret all the choices you had to make that cost you so much, your reputation or a better spot financially. 
That's part of it. You still have peace in your heart. Praise the Lord. That's great reward from God. Peace. But he said, if you put your hands on this plow, in Luke 9, he said, if any man puts his hands on this plow, it's tough. Rocks in the field and stumps, and you fall on that thing, and it's stumbling, and people are talking, it's hot, and you're sweating, it's not comfortable. All your old buddies are talking about you, all those old hangouts, you don't go there anymore. A lot of things you used to do, you don't do, because you made a decision no longer to do that, because you're saved. I'm a born-again, new creature in Christ. Old things are in yard sales. <laughs> now, either they passed away or they're still there, and you're making excuses why you can't really do all of that yet. But a saved man versus an unsaved man is like putting your hand to the plow, and once you do, you're committed to not looking back. Because what happens if you look back? He says, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. How many of you know that the Spirit of God yearns over you jealously? He doesn't want to share you with anything in the world. And whenever the world comes creeping around, that's why the good, loving chastisement of God comes along, because whom he loves, he chastises. And he doesn't chastise everybody, but whom he loves, he does. That's pretty narrow. Romans 8. Would you turn over there? Romans chapter 8. And verse 14, for as many as be led by the Spirit of God, they are what? Let me ask you a question because this is a part of the way you grow. Are you led by the Spirit of God? Maybe you're honest this morning because your conscience always is until it gets seared. But your conscience will say, you know, not really. Because sometimes I look in my mirror and I'm getting ready to go to school or I'm getting ready to go to work. And I look at what I'm wearing and I really do want to show people that I'm still at my age, still trim, and I still look good. Can't you tell? She would say. Excuse me. <laughs> Is it not possible that something from God on the inside would say your motivation is wrong. That body you're so concerned about belongs to me. It's my property. We were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's God you want to be pleased with you, not a gawking, lust-laden public. It's God. Now, I don't know very many people. I've been here a long time. I've been in this world for 70 years. I don't know very many people professing Christ who are willing to live with that kind of rigid conviction. I don't know many. If everybody's wearing jump-off-the-bed jeans, most girls wear that too because they don't want to be different. They just don't. But there's the few that do. And we seem to feel so sorry for them. Don't feel sorry for them. They're blessed because there's a reward coming. But there is something about being led by the Holy Spirit. How can so many charismatics, Pentecostals, especially in the airwaves and the media, how can so many professing, spirit-filled people 
act so carnal, do such carnal things, pride themselves in such carnal accomplishments. How can you be led by the Spirit and do all of that, act that way, dress like that? I still get those big flyers. You fold them out about a big concert coming, a Christian concert, some kind of a a big Christian gathering, and all of these groups are going to be singing. And here's some of the weirdest-looking people I've ever seen. All they'd have to do to really make it all the way is paint this side one color, paint this side another color, shave their heads, and put a tattoo of a cross on the top of their head. And then, Why do people do that? All these Christians that get tattoos, does God lead them into tattoo parlors for some heathen to paint your body? What's wrong? Would the Spirit of God lead you like that? Maybe they don't have the Spirit. Turn to Acts 5. 5 and 32. This is pretty narrow, but that's what I'm trying to say. And we are his witness of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to everybody that spoke in tongues. I've known a lot of people that speak in tongues. I've also noted and known and come aware of in the last 15 years that most people probably here that have had a tongues experience don't do it anymore. Or there's been some discussion about the gifts of the Spirit and things of that sort and and weaknesses of faith, which the baptism in the Holy Spirit is supposed to assist you in building yourselves up on on your most holy faith that people who are spirit-filled hardly ever talk in tongues. Pentecostals maybe did once and haven't in 15 years. People here sit around and struggle about some things and never sit down, get alone, and pray in tongues. I would have to question whether or not you've ever received the Holy Spirit. And if you say you have, do you obey God? Because the Bible says, the Scripture says, I'm not making this up, that God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. But what about all these other things? I don't know about all the other things. I'm only using one verse of Scripture, Acts 5, 32. I want to make sure in this life I'm being led by the Spirit, because if I'm not led by his Spirit, what's leading me? There's only two. There's only two categories of spirits in the world, God's and the devil's. Good, bad, dark light, nothing else. If you're not being led by the Spirit of God, if you're not being led by light, you're being led by darkness. Jesus once said about that. He said, now, if the light that is in you is darkness, that is, the way you're seeing things, if it's not God's way, it's a dark way. You think it's light. Your whole church is patterned after that, but it's really wrong. So a man, before judgment day comes, he needs to make sure that he's believing right and things are going right as they're supposed to. These are narrow ways. This is what people don't like about, well, this church or Christianity. God doesn't make excuses for flesh. Now, he's long-suffering. Aren't you glad? And he knows that in a lot of ways with issues that he gives us, we struggle and have our moments and we have to regroup. But at least we're going in the right direction. But there are people who just don't even try. They just assume that everything is okay. 
How about the one about separation? Is that still in 2 Corinthians 6? Yes, okay. Would you turn over there then? I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. He ends this sixth chapter with these words about who you fellowship with, who you run around with, who you hang out with, and who you are buddies with. He begins by, in verse 14, saying, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, you young folks that aren't married yet, make sure if you marry, please don't. But if you happen to think you're going to marry anyway, please make sure that your eyes are open, your arms are extended to keep them away from you, that the person you think you're attracted to is a believer, that they're saved, that they live saved and they talk saved and they act saved and they're not goofy trying to impress you. <laughs> they don't do that. Because if they do that, they'll do that when you get married. All right? Verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has a righteous man with an unrighteous man? And what kind of communion or discourse has light with darkness? And what union has Christ with the devil? You know, you belong, that club you belong to, that organization you belong to, maybe that sorority or fraternity that you're a part of with your brothers. I was at a campus club when I was in college. It's some Greek thing now. And we had mugs, campus club mugs. And you know what they were for? Putting pencils in. And we got together for our annual theme writing. We would bring our mugs and then had our names on them. Mm, I've been forgiven of a lot of things. Oh, so many things. The initiation and all the things you did and all the things your brothers and you did. I can see Christians going to college wanting to be a part of the scene and joining some trash like that. His question here, he asked you, if you're saved. He said, what union does the devil have with Christ? And what part of he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, now listen to this, verse 16. Here's my verse. For you are the temple of the living God. What does that mean to you? You are a temple. What's a temple? It's a place of worship, isn't it? He said, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, two things here, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. The third thing, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now let me ask you something. Does God walk in you? It's like Romans 8. Are you led by that same spirit? Is he the one that is guiding you through life, the places you're going, the way you're doing, the way you're living, the choices you're making in life? Is God behind it, and is he in favor of it, and he in agreement with it? Are they good choices? He said, I will dwell in them. I will live in them. Well, there's a lot of things that God wouldn't do. God wouldn't lead you into a bar. I mean, to go in there and drink and stuff. I walked through a bar not too many months ago, a famous bar down in Alaska, just to see what it looked like. Walked through there. Saw it and walked out. 
I didn't hang out with them. I just want to see what it looked like. Well, you didn't have to do that. Probably didn't. Probably didn't. You'll have to forgive me for just walking through there. Of course, I took one of my grandchildren with me, so we'll have to give me twice. Forgive me twice. <laughs> but the bar's no place for a Christian to hang out. You wouldn't have to be in there long, any bar, to know that there's nothing zero in here for a Christian. But he said, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. Look at verse 17. Therefore, therefore, come out from among whom? No, wait a minute now. No, wait a minute. Stop. I want you to get this. Them begins in verse 14. You got to make this decision. I don't know who you run around with. I don't know who you kids fellowship with. I don't know who you hang out with, what trash you watch. I don't know. But here's the condition. This is the good choice that God must judge the alternative of. He said in verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and on those three conditions, I will receive you. Turn this all around. What if we don't want to give up our fun buddies? What if we don't want to make this big decision? Oh, we go to church every week. I sing, hey, 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 hey. I do all that. All right, I got some buddies at school I hang out with, and we, uh, we thumb talk. And, you know, I, I know they're not Christian and all that, but, you know, they're, they're just good folks. Let me read again. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Now, the choice is yours. If you will, verse 18, you will experience the presence of God, and the favor of God in your life. For he said, you will be my sons and daughters, and I will be your God. But the condition is, for this to be a reality, you've got to make some choices. If you stop this machine, you're listening to this message on, take the disc out of the tape out. If you look on the front of it, it says, are you making good choices, number two? You can put it back in the machine now. And this is what good choices are. Simply this, God says, you're going to be confronted with all the kind of people in this world that will lead you away from God. You've got to make a decision not to let that happen. And if you're willing to make that decision, it's heartbroken. They're going to talk about you and uglify you. If you're willing to do what is right, God will make himself comfortable. You'll get to know him. You'll have peace with him. And you won't regret the choices you made. Amen. Because God is good and he can do that. About separation, God said to his people through Moses in Exodus, he said, For wherein shall it be known, Moses said, that I and thy people have found favor in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated from the whole world? Why will we be separated from the whole world? Because God is with us. He's not with the whole world. He's not with the world. He's with us. Is that too hard? Maybe that little phrase, God loves everybody, is still everybody's mantra. It's not true. It's not true. Whom God loves, he chastens. The world's not being chastened, being judged, but not corrected. But it's those whom God loves that he chastens. I'd hate to think that I've been here all these years, and when it came time for Jesus to come, that most of you didn't make it and you really weren't saved after all these opportunities and all these years. You think, maybe you didn't preach hard enough. Maybe you didn't say it clear enough. Maybe you didn't let all this go. Maybe you didn't get it out right or something. I don't know. 
But let's use another word for saved. What is another word we could use besides saved? Let's try this one. Con V E R T E D. Converted. Instead of saying, are you saved? Let me ask you this. Are you converted? That's a new word for a lot of people. What's that got to do with being born again? Well, it's really what born again does. This is what born again really does cause to happen. Let me give you three things about the word conversion this morning. Then I want to get into what I want to say. Matthew 18 and verse 3. Jesus said, except you be converted and become like little children, you will not enter into the kingdom. Does he say that? Except you be converted and become like little children. There must be a simplicity that comes into our life where we're more quick to listen as little children are than to be talking. Nobody, nobody in life, there is nobody that learns more than children. The first couple years. Somebody once said, you learn more in the first three years of your life than you do in the next 30. I don't know all about that stuff. But I know that learning to write, speak, think, tie your shoes, button your shirt, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth. Those are things you learn whenever you're little. Because you want to learn. You're interested in learning. You want to progress. Jesus said, except you be converted and become like that. You can't make it into the kingdom. You can't join the kingdom. You have to be born into it. If you're born into it, there's a conversion. Something really happens. Something really changes in your life. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 3, 19, these are the words that Peter said, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. First of all, Matthew 18 says, if you want to qualify to get in, you've got to be converted. If you want your sins to truly be blotted out, you must be converted. Wow. Converted, yes. If you want to qualify as being useful to God, you must be converted. Where does it say that? Simon, Simon, behold, the devil has desired thee that he might sift you as sweet. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Converted. That's three passages. Matthew 18, Acts chapter 5, and Luke 22. And there's many, many more uses of this word converted or conversion. But this is a big word. It stands out as perhaps a word that needs to challenge church folks. Are you converted? Well, what does it mean? Well, it means to turn. It implies the idea that you were going this way. And through an effect of God, you turn around and go in a new direction. Not go back where you came, but God turns you around from the way you're going into a way that he gives you to go. It's a turning. That's why Jesus said, you don't grab this plow and look back. If you do, you're not fit for the kingdom. If you want to be fit for the kingdom, you have to become like a little child. Pretty narrow. 
but it's a choice. How many times in your life, in our lives, has God confronted us as a body of believers through the years? I've preached in this building to you folks how many thousand times? Two, three? Twenty-some, hundred times? How many times has God convicted us? I'm talking about me too. How many times have you been convicted about something? This is a part of your conversion. See, he doesn't get it all at once. You come in here and your whole life has been wrong. But you turned your life over to the Lord. You're like a little child. You turn to God. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You're waiting instructions. You need some light. You can't obey God until you know what he wants. So you come and you're eager and you're hungry and you learn so fast. Remember when we were first Christians? We learned so much in the first year. Couldn't get enough of it. Tapes weren't long enough. People kept them too long, wouldn't give them to you in time. Couldn't talk about it enough. Bags under our eyes, these things hanging under my eyes are because we sat up all night and talked about the Lord. Couldn't get enough of it. Didn't dread going to church. Didn't care if it snowed. Didn't matter. Didn't care if it felt bad. There was something about my need and the enjoyment of it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Not because it was that way with a lot of people I knew or with me. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's newness of life. It's newness. Everything becomes new. You turn around from darkness and you come to light and God begins feeding a hungry soul. It's easy to preach to hungry people. Oh, man, it's easy. It's wonderful. And they're hungry, and they draw it out of you. And then you even take notes every now. Oh, i got to remember that. Oh, give me your pocketbook. Let me write on something. <laughs> and you go home, and you're thinking all the way home. Praise God. Let me read that. Let me read that. And you sit there in the evening, and next thing you know, you call. Have you read this verse? And so why are you consumed like this? Don't you know there's a ball game on? Don't you know there's a car race? What are you doing talking about the Bible? Don't you know there's other things to do? I'm not talking about shoveling snow either. There's something about this. I remember one time I said, God, why do we have to sleep? Why do we have to sleep? Can we just stay awake all the time? Why is it? You tell me. Don't answer me, but tell me in your minds. Why is it that some people are like that, but so many aren't? Why is it that some people are so eager and so many are just willing to take whatever? Why is it that some of us are wanting to just get out of these little restricted shells while so many people are so concerned about what everybody thinks? Why is that? Why are we so restrained? Why do we hold back so much? Have we been converted? Has there been a conversion, a true conversion of a man's soul? Is this... Converted soul becoming a disciple like John spoke of the other night? How could he be a disciple if he's not converted? There is a way that seems right to a lot of people, but it's a way of death because God will judge. It's a broad way. It's a religious broad way. The church on Broadway. Even so, we also, Paul wrote in Romans 6, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. My sin, we sang, oh, the bliss 
of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise God, O oh my soul. There is something that has to be exciting and joyful about the Christian life. There's people who carry joy to a meeting and who want to let go of it. Right after I got saved, we went to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a year after I got saved. And I remember a song I heard for the first time. I never forgot it. And the people sang it with such gusto. I get so thrilled with Jesus every moment of the day. I get so thrilled with Jesus. He's the truth, the life, the way. I get so thrilled with Jesus. He satisfies my soul. I get so thrilled with Jesus. He's the one who makes it whole or something like that. In the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, we have the victory. And everybody just clapping and banging on stuff and having a big time. I'm out of the Christian church learning. I didn't even have a bulletin to go by. I didn't know what they were going to do. But, man, I was just, you know. <laughs> the group I was with, we had never done this, but everybody else had done it. We kind of look at each other and kind of. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're up there, we're having a good time too, and all that stuff. Lady from Birmingham, she said, Y'all having a good time here? Play this. And hand me a tambourine. <laughs> Unclean. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that thing, but I took it. <laughs> like that. When I was in India, my translator played a tambourine, played one. I doubt if many of you have ever seen somebody play as a musical instrument a tambourine, but this guy could make it. Wow. I'd watch him and he would run around that thing and he would, some way he would hit it and, and it was a musical instrument. All I could do was go ching, 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 ching like that. <laughs> I didn't care. I was happy. He has made me glad. I didn't join this thing. I was birthed into it. And God saw the, the hunger of the heart. He began to feed it. And he put joy in there. He brought peace in there. Everything about faith fell into place. We learned so much so quickly. You didn't have to try to urge us to come to church. If there wasn't church somewhere, we would have one. We just get together and get some bologna, some cheese, and Pepsi, and have church. I would like to think, now I'm not a standard or norm anybody compares to. We all have our own conversion experience. I believe I was truly converted. Now I'm not through. Life isn't over yet, so we have to live it and we have to endure it to the end. But I believe that Bonnie and I were truly converted. Never had desire to go back. This thing gets richer now. It just gets deeper and more mellow and more meaningful. And the words you used to have to think of to say are always there now. Words just pop out of your mouth. It's a life you live. Not because you're better than anybody. Not because you're worth more than anybody. It's just that God put his spirit upon you. Remember the verse that said you were sealed with that Holy Spirit? If you have a concordance finder, two or three places where... You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise that he gives that spirit to those that obey him. And it keeps you in his love. It keeps you in his favor. 
And the right choices are the only choices you want to make. The only choices you want to make. You know, sign up here and get free tickets to the Derby. You couldn't get Derby tickets on my property. I wouldn't give you a nickel for the Derby. For all of it. I really wouldn't. Or for Valentine or Santa Claus or anybody else. But folks, a conversion is a turnaround. It's a new way of life. It's as I said earlier in the message, you present your body a living sacrifice. I give you me. I give you me. I surrender me to you because you surrendered you to me so that I can surrender me to you. Jesus died for me so that I can be yours. I see it. I see it. It's not church we're talking about. It's a life that we're talking about. God being God. You being a Christian. It's living converted. Like I have turned around from the way I used to live into the way I'm supposed to live. How can you tell? How can you tell? What if I did this this morning? How many of you drove here? Drove something here. All right. What if I said this? I'm going to go out and get the keys to your car, and we'll turn your radio on and see what kind of music you listen to. Would you go, mm-mm? What if I turned it on and it was boobity-bobbity, boobity-bobbity-bobbity-boop? Listen to me. You have not been converted. Unless somebody had your car yesterday and you didn't turn the radio on, and they listened to it and you didn't know it was on there. I don't know what's on my FM radio because I've never adjusted it. I got in a car one time years ago. Somebody, and it was... <laughs> Some of them do better than that. I got the hungries for your love, and I'm standing in your welfare line. Well, God led me to listen to that. I don't think so. What if I got in your car this morning? Now, if you see me come and turn it off or hit channels or hit go 88.5, or, well, that's not much either. That ain't much good either. But what would I listen to? Your music tells what kind of choices you're making. Didn't you make that choice? It indicates where your heart is. I don't care if they're talking about being drunk and living with an angel last night or running with somebody's wife or they're selling our memories in a yard sale. I like to watch them. Man, they sing so good. And he had to sing it up. No, they don't. No, they don't. None of that glorifies God. None of it enhances anything spiritual. All it does is make you like them. Now, you're sitting here like you're one of us, but really you're one of them. That's where your heart is. When you get converted, you won't do that no more. I got in a car one time, turned on the radio, and it was honky-tonk all the way across there. Honky-tonk to me is country. Beer-drinking music. And I talked to the person later on about it in discussing their spiritual state that I did not believe they were very spiritual because 
that's the kind of music that's flooding their mind, their thinking. And, you know, later on, God convicted them, and it all changed. But, folks, that's an indicator. That's one of the indicators of your life about where you are, where you hang out. I remember hearing youngsters 10 years ago used to like to go to Louisville and go to Coyotes. Is that still down there? Huh? Don't say yes. There was a place called Coyotes or Coyotes or Varmint or something down there. And our kids just like to go down there, hang around all the cool people, all the beer drinkers and, you know, the lusty, lewd-looking bunch, and boys try to act bad and girls try to act cute. Do you really believe that is a dwelling place for a Christian? Then why do you go if you do? Why did they go? Why did that other bunch go? Why? Is it the mystique of the youth years and trying to find out what's going on and see what it's all about? Maybe some of that is true. But shouldn't it be if you're a Christian and you go in there and you listen to the music that's being played and the way people are acting and the way people are dressing and all the lewd behavior, you know, the hugging and carrying on and looking and talking, don't you think that's not a good place for a Christian? You think God dwells in you while you're in there? You walk in there as a temple of God. Ooh, this is cool. No, it's not. What are you doing in there? Why are you in there? You have a need for that? See, these are choices that people make, but they're also indicators of whether or not you're a new creature in Christ. Would you look in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17? You know the verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man or woman, if any man be in Christ, he's converted. She's converted. You're a new person. You're not like you used to be. Unless you think Christ lets you live the way you used to live, and it's okay. In modern church, it is. They live with each other. They go to parties. They drink. They carry on. They act like a fool. They argue. They fight. They fuss, complain, and criticize. But they go to church. They may be a deacon, maybe a preacher. You think that's okay? Listen to me, all of you. Listen. What you bring in this building this morning is what combats the work of the Spirit. If it's not of God, then it's of the devil. Is that okay? If it's not of God, it's of the devil. If it's not of light, it's of darkness. If it's not good, it's bad. Sometimes in preaching, you can sense the resistance. There should be no resistance to the word, but sometimes people esteem the word as grievous or hard, and they do that because of the influence of the world in their life. They don't want to let go of it. They don't want to be told they have to let go of it. Girls don't want to quit wearing jeans, and they won't because I say this. They'll wear them until Jesus comes and judges it. They don't want to give them up. They don't want to, and they won't, because that's one choice that I bet very, very few will ever make. I don't care what you say. This is what I'm going to do, and that's the nature of your heart. That's where the conversion shows up as being less than what God said. Again, we're all working on areas of our life, and it may take a while to get through some things. I don't want to get off into 
pants and stuff again. I will say this. I have seen modest pants. I think there's times you work out in your yard, fixing in your yard or stuff. I think that, that that's a consideration. But prancing around the streets, whew, no way. Have you found 2 Corinthians 5, 17 yet? If any man or a woman be in Christ, what are they? Meaning, old things, and therefore, all things have become new. Is this because they're converted? Say amen. It's because they've been converted. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing. You ever sang that song? Are you the same? You haven't sang it? <laughs> man, oh man, I'm going back a few years in. Is conversion a change? If there's no change and you still act the way you used to act and you're basically what you always were, you've only added the flavor of religion to your life. What about a big T-shirt that says, whatever, across the front? Great is the Lord forever. What does whatever mean? Isn't it an attitude? That'd be good for a Christian to wear that, wouldn't it? God leads you to, oh, pay $12 for whatever. Thank you. Then come to church, whatever. What are you wearing that for? What if you had a big T-shirt that had Mogan David on the front of it? <laughs> Mad dog. Is that okay? <laughs> what about Mickey Mouse? Some enchanted evening. What about Mickey and all his enchantments? What about Disney World and all the enchanted midget kingdom? Oh, magic kingdom. Is that all right? Or is it occult? Is it something that defines the devil, magic and the mysterious and the, it's like all these creatures that are coming out in the movies now and all of these aliens and these crazy nut things. Isn't that the devil? Well, what have we got to do with that except to rebuke it? You know why we don't have anything to do with it? We've been turned around by the Lord. I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine. Acts 5.32, I pray that I've uh, got the uh, fruit of the Spirit. How about some old dating desires you used to have? <laughs> you used to have. You know, legal lust. <laughs> Put your arms around her. Kiss him. Act like they do on TV when, you know, they're all romantic looking and they all go to swallowing each other's heads. Why don't you, uh, <laughs> maybe that's something that the Lord would not lead you to do. Well, I've seen the same thing you've seen. Maybe that's what Christians should do. Do you really think they should? I'll tell you, this is such a burning and hot age. I don't think boys and girls ought to even hold hands. Because once you get the hand held, that's old stuff. Then you head for the waist. Once you get to the waist, that's old stuff. Then you get over close to him or her, and that's old stuff. Then the arm goes around, and the thumb gets to twiddling on the thumb, and next thing you know, it's mouth to mouth. You're trying to resuscitate each other. <laughs> then you're in trouble because that belongs only to married people. The things that begin like that are not intended to be stopped. They have their fulfillment in love and in marriage. 
Anything else is a bad choice, a wrong choice, and you're in trouble. That ain't going to keep people from doing it. I'm just telling you so you know on Judgment Day that it's wrong to do those things. A converted person would know that. You would think they would. Why would a boy want to violate a girl if he's converted? Why would he? Why would she let him if she's converted? She could always come upside his head and get out of the car and go home. Come upside his head. She could always say, take me home. How about Christians who keep angry and are always angry and complaining and bitter? Maybe they're conservative Christians, anti-Democrats, Limbaugh, whatever the other one's names are, ites. You listen to that stuff and all you can do is be critical of everything else. Is that a converted life? Does God lead us that way? No, no. No, those are bad choices. How about people that difficult time comes in their life or their family just fall apart? Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I hear stories like that occasionally. People that are strong and all just full of this, oh, the joy of the Lord. And then a little crisis, a little crisis comes and they just fall apart. Then what have you been listening to for the last several years? Hasn't all this been preparation for these kind of days? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are going to try you as though something strange has happened to you. Rejoice. Rejoice because God has it in his hands. He'll take care of it. He'll deliver you. Rejoice. And they usually don't. Most people usually don't. They would rather weep. Well, you know, we could talk about your speech, the way you dress. The goofy clothes that boys wear today with their pants and their hats backwards and that dumb look on their face and, and trying to be cool. I'm thinking, that's not conversion. You don't have to act that way. God isn't impressed with it. Be what he's making you out to be, his child. Just be like that. Find people like you and run with those people. Give it up. You don't have to drive like them, dress like them, run like them, look like them, smell like them, or talk like them. You don't have that need as a Christian. God's delivered you from all those things, from showing off and all. What about your priorities? If you're converted, don't you have new priorities? Don't you? What is the first single priority in a Christian's life? Well, I can't say the first because there's probably more than one, but Jesus said, seek secondly. No, no, that's the new version. That's the old version. Let me give you the new stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. How do you seek first the kingdom? Would that include hearing the word? Then that means be here. I know there's reasons people don't and can't. And other, I, know, I know that, I know that, I know that. But I also know there's people who don't come to me because they don't want to. Like little denominational people. I went on Sunday, I don't need to go anymore. But our priorities have to be Jesus Christ. I need to be here. I want to be here. I have no struggle being here. I look forward to being here. I enjoy most of the time being here. This is my life. This is what God birthed me into this world to do, and this is what I'm doing, and I like it. 
It's a huge responsibility, which I know I can't handle by myself, but I also know that he's going to help me, so I don't fret over that either. In closing, turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Let me read this by first quoting you a verse that we briefed last week. Stay in Deuteronomy 30. Jesus once said to his disciples, talking about being saved, are there few that's going to be saved? Jesus said, strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Strive means agonize. It's going to cost you something. It's not easy. Most people, Jesus said, won't make it. Most won't. Well, he said most. Many will seek and not be able. Many. But he said, you strive. You show God by your intense desire to be his, that you want to be his. You obey his voice. You put your hand to that plow and, and you stay there whether anybody else does or not. Though none go with me, you're going to go anyway. In that same Luke chapter 13, he talks about iniquity in the last days. Iniquity will abound in the last days because, he goes on to say, about the false teaching, the false prophets, false ideas, false impressions, false mental designs that people have about what's right and wrong with no Bible to substantiate it. They have their own version. It's called lawlessness. Iniquity shall abound. We're living in an age of iniquity and lawlessness right now. Church people absolutely do not want to be told what to do. That spirit is in every church. Maybe more in some and little in others, but it's there somewhere. I don't like for anybody, especially some preacher, to tell me what to do. Well, we're not telling you what to do. We're telling you what the Bible says you ought and must do, and there is no other choice except the wrong one. If you want to go to heaven, you go on God's terms. You got to give up all the trash in this life that's going to keep you out of heaven. You can't get through a narrow gate with trash. You got to give it up. You got to surrender. You got to yield. And here's what it says. We'll close with this in Deuteronomy 30. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, they're going to come both of them, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whether the Lord thy God has driven thee, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice. Now this is conversion, verse 2 and 3. And you shall turn unto the Lord, and you shall obey his voice according to all that he has commanded you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that then, it's at then. And so there's this time of effort and striving. Then, then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity. That's what he said. You obey what he said. And then you will find his presence coming into your life to bless you and deliver you and to make things right. It may not look like it at the beginning. That's why most people quit. But you stay with it. You keep your hands on this plow and you know that God cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie. If he said this, this is what he's going to do. And though it doesn't look like it's going to work, you know that he cannot but tell the truth. So you're going to stay with it. With all your heart, 
all your might, all your soul, then. Then he said, he will turn your captivity. Verse 9, and the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thy hand. That's what people want the world's way. But God said his way will be better. He said, the Lord will make you plenteous in every work of thy hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. Remember Zephaniah 3, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. What else on this earth commands joy to God but his people doing good? Doing good. God doesn't mind you struggling and you're, all those difficult times you're going through when it's a time of testing so he can bring you out to where the blessings are. He's not going to bring you out if you quit. If you want to enter in, you're going to have to fight and agonize and resist and overcome and endure. And when you do, bam, I can guarantee you, because I've been there, it happens. It works. The blessing of the Lord comes. It just comes. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't join it. It is obtained by living on his terms. And then look at verse 10. It all depends on your choices. He rejoiced over thee for good if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God and to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. God doesn't make it easy, does he? He doesn't make it easy. Some will get this, but a lot of people won't. I'm sorry to say I don't think a lot of people will. Verse 14, where is all of this? The word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. There's no excuses now. There are no excuses. Well, I don't know where it is. It's in your mouth and in your heart. You've heard it. You've heard it. And again, verse 15, the two choices. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil in that I command thee this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. That's the promise of the Lord. Those are the two options and the two choices. Now, in closing, are you making good choices? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, as you lean upon us, Lord, to do right and not wrong, lean upon us also to know that our feeble efforts at doing right are not good enough. We must do right. Heavenly Father, the people that are sitting before me, young and old, have souls, personal souls. They will live forever, eternally, in darkness and death or in light with God. And it all comes down to the choices we make in this life. God, deliver us to dread to make the right choices. Deliver us from the, what people think and make us to do right. Deliver us from the wrong crowds, from wrong attitudes, 
from being foolish and silly. Deliver us. Turn us away from all of those things. Make our wills to be strong, Lord, that we might do right. I ask you to give a church full of people here that are fully converted, all of them. Bring that to pass, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.